Good evening. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise up against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in His temple. And in the time of trouble, He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my enemies, now my head shall be lifted above all my enemies around me. Therefore, I will offer the sacrifices of joy at his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry unto thee with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me. O God of my salvation, when my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord shall take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait. I say on the Lord. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this beautiful opportunity to sit at your feet, to learn from you. God, thank you that in your presence is fullness of joy. And God, right now with all the things that may be on our mind, we ask for the present blessing. God, we pray by the time we leave tonight that we're changed because we have encountered you. That's our prayer, Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. In your precious name we pray, amen. Amen. God is good, amen? Amen. amen. My name is Anel Kanda. i really blessed to be able to be here. I know God's going to speak to us in so many ways, amen? Amen. You know what's so interesting? Um, 
The last time I was here was the year 2002, and this is when they actually had the very first GYC. I never forgot, I was sitting in this room, and there was one thought that went through my mind through this entire conference that I was at, and this was it. This is the most boring conference I have ever been to in my entire life. But let me tell you something, the problem wasn't the conference, the problem was my own heart. So something happened. I decided with my friend, we're going to go for a walk. And we jumped over the fence and we went down this trail. And something was really strange about the weather. It was getting very cold. And so we continued to hike further and further into the hills. And we probably hiked, I don't know, anywhere from five to seven miles. And we thought, wow, it's just wonderful being out here. Then all of a sudden, the snow began to fall. And we thought, wow, this is wonderful. Snow in Southern California. You can't beat that. And after about an hour just hanging out deep in the woods, we decided to make our way back when we realized the trail that we were trying, that we originally came on, was completely covered with snow. Soon it began to snow so bad that you could not even see uh, just even a few feet ahead of you. You're thinking, this is Southern California. This is Southern California for you. We got lost. And we didn't know what to do. My friend was getting annoyed at me and I was getting annoyed right back at him. And so we just began to argue. Finally, we said, hey, let's pray. And so we began to pray. And finally, you know, we just said, okay, let's just keep walking. And we just had this faint idea of where the, you know, the actual buildings were. So we just kept walking and we kept moving and we just kept going. And for just many minutes, we thought to ourselves, we're getting more and more lost out here in the woods. But there was still a still small voice that was saying, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. And after about, I don't know, maybe an hour to two hours, we finally found some tracks and we were able to get our way back to Pine Springs Ranch. This was my first and last experience here at this ranch. You know, I'm excited about tonight's message. I know God is going to bless us in tremendous ways. The theme of this weekend is called the One Soul Audience. And it's based upon this quotation found in Ellen White's writings. It says this, The Lord desires that His word of grace shall be brought home to every what? Soul. To a great degree, this must be accomplished by personal what? Labor. This was Christ's method. His work was largely made up of personal what? Interviews. He had a faithful regard for the one soul audience. Through that one soul, the message was often extended to thousands. There are multitudes who will never be reached by the gospel. Now notice this. Unless it is carried to them. And that's why we're here this weekend. It's sort of to be recalibrated, to be revived, and to head out and to preach the gospel. Now everybody, take your Bible. Let's go to Revelation chapter 14. This is like the Pledge of Allegiance for Seventh-day Adventists. Revelation chapter 14, we are going to the three angels' messages found in Revelation 14, starting with verse 6. Do you know Jesus gave the gospel commission as the very last sign right before he comes? John does something very interesting to the same gospel commission. The Bible says something remarkable in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. John actually adds to what Jesus had said regarding the gospel commission. Revelation 14, verse 6. Notice what the Bible says right here. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Now notice this next words. Having the what? The everlasting gospel. 
Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24? He said, then the gospel shall be preached to all the world as a witness, then the end shall come. Now watch what John does. He says, look, the gospel that goes towards the end of time is the everlasting gospel. Now that's quite strange. Let's continue reading. The everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on earth. Now watch what John does. He doesn't stop right there. He continues. To every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and what? People. Now, John does something so amazing to the gospel message or the gospel commission. Jesus said, this gospel shall be preached to all the world as a witness, then the end shall come. John says, look, this is the everlasting gospel. So the gospel sort of takes on a, a greater exposure at the very end. It's not just the gospel, it's the what? Everlasting gospel. And it doesn't just go sort of to the general world. It goes to every nook and cranny of this entire planet. Can you say amen to that? And that's what's so exciting about this end time message that we actually have the privilege to be, be, be able to be a part of. You know, it's so interesting. God has so many ways of preaching the gospel. Amen? So many ways. Now, I'm a conference evangelist for the conference I work for. And let me tell you something. I absolutely am uncomfortable with public evangelism. I've been doing it for many years, but I started doing conference evangelism uh, just since January. But I actually am not like this. I just love doing public evangelism. More and more, I've become just desirable for sitting down and just explaining the gospel to people. As I said before, God has so many ways of preaching the gospel. Someone messaged me the other day and they said, Pastor Nell, you want to know something? I said, what? You just preach the gospel at Walmart. I said, What? I don't shop at Walmart. I shop at Kmart. <laughs> and they say, you just preach the gospel at Walmart. I said, what are you talking about? And they said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? They said, they said, my son, he actually works for, I'm not actually supposed to say Walmart, by the way, Walmart. And uh, what he did is he went out to lunch in his car, but he left his, his uh, walkie-talkie that's connected to the loudspeaker of the store. He took it into his car and he locked it on. He didn't realize it was still on. He turned on a sermon I was preaching and for 40 minutes he was in his car and the sermon was going throughout Walmart's loudspeakers. In fact, the managers could not shut it off because the system was locked in because of his walkie-talkie. Can you just imagine that? When you get to heaven one day, say, Pastor, no. Man, I was converted at Walmart. What happened? I was just shopping for some clothes and this voice said, you need the robes of Jesus. Buying some detergent. And the voice said, you need the blood of Jesus if you want to be clean. Amen? Amen? Can you just imagine the, the, the multiple ways God has been communicating the message all over the entire world? I mean, it's just amazing. I have a good friend who was actually uh, converted. Him and his whole family, they came into the church. They were born and raised in, as Muslims in Iran. They became Christians because of dreams. I mean, that's amazing, right? I mean, it's just, when you think about it, I mean, you could, God can use Walmart, amen? Walmart loudspeakers. He can use dreams. But God's favorite way of doing evangelism is the one soul audience. The one soul audience. Now I'm going to share something with you. 
When I was in college, and it was in my college that I became a Seventh-day Adventist. I was actually born and raised a Hindu. I also come from a Sikh background. Something happened in the year 1999. I never forgot I was going to college, and I was taking math and science classes. And there was a placard on the wall. And the placard said these words. It was a quote by Albert Einstein. I believe in Spinoza's God. Spinoza was a philosopher slash scientist. Albert Einstein said these words. I believe in Spinoza's God who reveals himself in the orderly harmony of what exists. Not in a God who concerns himself with fates and actions of human beings. Now this is before I was a Christian. I was actually born and raised a Hindu as I said before. And Hinduism actually teaches this idea of an impersonal God. They believe any, any kind of articulation about God actually is limited thereby therefore it diminishes who God really is so they believe that you can actually know God personally and so growing up this is what I thought in fact as I grew up I would go to sort of the uh, what we call the Hindu Sunday schools and you know how people paint pictures or color pictures in their churches about John the Baptist preaching in you know, the Galilean Sea, near the Galilean Sea, or the Jordan River, excuse me, or you read about Jesus healing the leper, I actually grew up you know, coloring pictures on Sundays at the temple that said God is inside the tree. God is inside the rock. It was this form of pantheism that I grew up with. And so every day when I was at college, I'd walk by, and I would look at that quote, and I said, you know what, God really isn't interested in my life. I said, yep, that's right. Next day I went to class, I'd look always at that placard, and this was a placard I never forgot. Yeah, Albert Einstein was right. God's not really interested in my useless life. Go to class one day, I saw that, and I thought, you know what? Why in the world would God ever be interested in my itsy-bitsy little existence? And day after day, I would look at that quote and I thought to myself, yep, that's right, yep, that's right, yep, that's right, until one day I said, wait a minute, What if I'm wrong? What if I'm actually wrong about this? What if God is actually interested in my life? And through a variety of circumstances, I began to read the Bible. I never forgot when I came across this wonderful verse of Scripture, and it says this in John chapter 1. Powerful words right here. It says this, In the beginning was the what? Word And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. And notice what the Bible says next. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among them. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. And I never forgot, as I was reading this one day, I thought to myself, wait a minute, God is greater than I ever thought before. And now the Bible is teaching, he has come down to earth, and he dwelt among humanity? This was something so unusual, something so bizarre to me. God is, by definition, the greatest being in the universe. No one is more powerful, no one is more greater, no one is more wiser than this God. The universe is created by the words of his mouth. Its very existence is upheld by his thoughts. And there was never a time in which he was not. However, the beautiful paradox, and I love this, the beautiful paradox of the biblical story or the gospel is that this wonderful being wants to be incredibly close to the fallen race, which includes you 
and me. Everybody take your Bibles. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Good way to find Colossians. General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? Yep, right? We're going to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Let's start with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of who? Jesus Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother. To the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. And you know what's so interesting, by the way? Anytime Paul writes a letter, do you know how he always addresses it? He says, to the saints, to the saints, to the saints, to the saints. I mean, that's how he starts many of his letters. But what is quite unusual is in his letters, he's rebuking people. He's like, look, you're not doing something right. You know, oftentimes we have this idea of what a saint is. Oh yeah, a saint is somebody that has a halo around their head, a Mother Teresa. But in Paul's mind, a saint was somebody who was a work in progress. Can you say amen to that? So are you a saint, ladies and gentlemen? Some of you are still uncomfortable with that. You're like, I don't know about that, right? Let's continue reading. Colossians chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, this letter was actually penned when Paul was in prison in Rome. I mean, think about it. He's writing a letter from prison. You know, potentially seeing his execution shortly. And he's writing letters to the church. And notice what he says in the next part of this letter. We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now think about this. He's writing a letter from where? Prison. Where he is about to be executed shortly. And he's writing this letter. And you know what he's saying in this letter? He's like, oh, I'm just so thankful to the church. God bless you, church. You know, if I was writing a letter from prison, I'd be saying something like, I need you to contact my lawyer. I need you to find somebody who can get me out of this prison. But the amazing thing is, when Paul was in the middle of God's will, he knew he was, he was at peace because it was the safest place to be. Amen? And so here Paul is in prison writing this letter of encouragement. And God can do some wonderful things because of prison. Not because of prison, but in prison. Amen? I mean, you think about it. Um, it's amazing. God actually has, his heart is actually really drawn to people who are in jails right now. That's why he gives in Matthew chapter 25, hey, you visited me in prison. I had this very interesting experience happen to me one day. There was a, um, a new couple that had joined our church, and we had been praying for them. Something happened to their son shortly after they joined the church. He was involved in a drive-by, got mixed up with some wrong people, and they, act, they ended up killing somebody. And so he was in jail, and they said, Pastor, can you please visit our son? He hasn't been to church before. He, isn't, no, he doesn't know who God is. Can you please visit him? So I went to the jail, and I went through all the clearance. It took a few days. I showed up, and I met this kid that was like 14 or 15 years old. I remember forgot. I picked up the phone, and I looked right at him, and I said, how old are you, man? Just a teenager. He got mixed up with the wrong group of people. Never imagined that he would end up in jail. And so we began to talk, and he says, yeah, you know what's so interesting? I go, what? He's like, I think God's trying to speak to me. I said, why do you say that? And he said, because when I first ended up to jail, there was like this big old Hispanic guy with glasses that walked up to me with socks pulled up. 
He sat down right next to me and he says, Hey, I say, you want to survive out here? You need something like this. And he reached into his sock. Now you would think he'd probably pull out a shank or a screwdriver, right? He said, the kid told me he reached into his sock and he gave me this little book. And I go, what was the name of the book? He said, Steps to Christ. (laughs) This kid has never set foot in Adventist church. His family had been praying for him. We've been praying for him. And I was like, I never heard of that book. What does it say? No, I didn't say that. But you know what? I said, you tell me. And he started sharing me. He's like, I've been rereading this book over and over and over again. It's just amazing. I mean, here he is in jail and he's learning about Christ. God actually had to bring him to the place where he wasn't moving anymore. And he was still to hear the voice of God. So Paul's writing this letter from jail. You know, he has the peace of God still with him. And he's encouraging the brethren. And notice what the Bible says next. Go all the way to verse 15. He is the image, talking about Christ. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By Him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And so Paul is building this case about Jesus Christ. He says, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus is before all things. He created all things, which means he himself was not created. He was the uncreated God. Amen? Paul Paul was saying Jesus by definition is God and God by definition is not a created being nor did he emerge at some period of time. He has always been. And so Paul's building this argument. This is who God is. He cannot be contained by time itself. And he begins to really hone in on the power and the glory and the might of Jesus Christ. And it's just amazing when you begin to think about it. And as Paul is building this argument, look, Christ is beyond anybody's conception. He is the firstborn, which is not so much a physical designation in a family, but rather a significant or important designation. In other words, he is the most important under the father. And so he begins to build this case about the greatness and the power and the glory of God. And then watch what happens. Going to verse 24. And now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which he has given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now he has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Now notice this, among the who? Among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the what? Hope of glory. Here, Paul makes this unusual paradoxical uh, sort of Direction. First, he says, look, God cannot be contained. He is so mighty. He is before time. By him, our very existence 
is present, is sustained. And then he says, you want to know what's so interesting about Christ? He's in you. The uncontainable God is in you. The illimitable God is in you. This all-powerful, omnipresent, omnipotent God is in you. You know what's so strange about the book of Colossians? Towards the very end of Colossians, he begins to just thank various people who helped him in his ministry. One of those individuals is Luke, and we're going to come back to Luke in just a second. But I want everybody to take your Bible and go to Mark chapter 5. We're going to actually look at a very powerful encounter Jesus actually has with an individual. The great God of the universe comes close to broken humanity. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. By the way, when you actually read the various Gospels, such as Luke, you will find not less than 30 encounters that Jesus had with individuals. The Gospels are so powerful because while you have Paul that's talking about the why of theology and you have the Old Testament that's building up to this, the Gospels really are just a a, a narrative on the life of Christ. His encounters with people. We're going to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. The Bible tells us something very interesting. In the previous chapter, Jesus just led a great multitude. He had just done so many things, and finally he tells his disciples, look, we're leaving. And they get into a boat, and as they leave this great multitude, you can imagine, wait a minute, we have all these people are here, and now you're just wanting to leave? So he leaves this great multitude, gets on a boat, and even as they're on this boat ride to this mysterious place, the Bible says a storm came. And Jesus actually had to rebuke the storm. The disciples, now think about this. They left the great multitude without explanation. And now they were on this boat ride. They nearly died and they have no understanding about what Jesus is about to do next. And let's go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs. A man with a what? Unclean spirit or evil spirit. Let's continue. Who had his dwelling among the tombs. No one combined him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had often been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. And neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs. Crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now let me ask you a question. Does this guy have a few problems? Yes. Yeah, he has a lot of problems, doesn't he? Can you name one of his problems? Yeah, he's demon possessed, right? But what came along with that? Where's the guy living? Where does he live? He lives where? He lives in the cemetery. And who lives in the cemetery? Actually, dead people don't live. They sleep. You need to go to the evangelistic series, right? Okay. What else is wrong with this guy? He's mutilating himself, right? I mean, this guy is constantly mutilating himself. What else? What else is wrong with this guy? He's crying out. When is he crying out? When? When, does, when is he crying out? Yeah, always, day and night, right? What else is wrong with this guy? He was in chains. What happened to those chains? 
Who put those chains on him? The people who attempted to tame him. And he broke those chains apart. Let me ask you a question. Can normal people break chains like that? No. He's dealing with the power that's far stronger than any human being, isn't he? Something supernatural has taken a hold of this. And you're going to see something beautiful in just a minute with this story. And so Jesus comes across. I love what Desire of Ages says, by the way. You've got to read this story. Ellen White says that when Jesus actually came out with his disciples, this man came running out. And the disciples actually took off running. And they looked back and they realized when they got into a boat, Jesus was still there. I mean, think about it. This is supposed to be Jesus' backup, his entourage. They left him. And they slowly made his way, they way back. And she says that, she, that, you know, Jesus was right before the demon. His hand was outstretched and he was not moving and the demon was not coming any further. What a powerful sight. Can you imagine this? The disciples, 12 of them running for their lives because of one man. And Jesus stood face to face with this man that was possessed with a demon. Let's keep going with this story. And when he had saw Jesus from afar... He ran and worshipped him. He cried out with a loud voice saying, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not what? Let me ask you a question. Who's talking here? The man or the demon? When the man ran and worshipped him, who was that? The man or the demon? The man, because demons don't worship him, right? So he ran and he worshipped him, but what came out of his mouth? The demon spoke. In fact, the words that came out of his mouth are quite interesting. He says, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. In fact, if you actually look this up in the Greek, it's the present participle. What he was actually saying was, I implore you by God that you stop tormenting me. Who was actually responsible for the torment of this man? The demon was responsible for the torment of the man. But who was the demon blaming? Christ. The demon was actually blaming Christ through the man. But what is also interesting is what he says. What are you doing here? And then he uses the title, Son of the Most. Now just think about what he just said. I implore you, he said, what are you doing here? Son of the Most High God. In other words... Holy people don't belong around garbage like this. This is not a place for holy beings. What are you doing here? But I want you to think about this. This was precisely the place where Christ wanted to be. Can you say amen to that? This man had so many problems, right? You know, there's something I'm realizing about sin more and more. And it came to me one day that God doesn't ultimately give sin its death penalty. You're thinking, what? No, I'm going to say it one more time. God doesn't give sin its... Ultimately, He doesn't give it its death penalty. You're thinking, wait a minute. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. I want want to say it one more time. God does not give sin its ultimate death penalty. Sin, by its very nature, has a death penalty. In fact, God calls that which has a death penalty sin. Sin, by its very nature, is the principle of self-destruction. This is God's big problem with sin. Look, it's not this idea of preference. Oh, God doesn't like sin because He just doesn't like it. He doesn't like it because you're too happy doing it. And He doesn't like that. 
Friends, I want you to understand something. God's big problem with sin is that it destroys, it separates, and it brings death. Amen? Amen. And so here he is. Jesus is dealing with a man who's almost destroyed himself because of his habits, his life. And he's face to face, the life giver, with the man that is full of sin. And notice what the Bible says next. For he said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered and said, my name is Legion. You all know what a legion is. What's a legion? It's a thousand Roman soldiers. Did you know a legion had two primary purposes in the Roman army? Number one, to go out to battle. And number two, to guard. That was the purpose of a legion. They were to guard or protect something. They said their name is Legion. They continue. For we are many. And I want you to start noticing the key phrase. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. Now notice this and all the demons begged him saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. So Jesus gave them what? Permission. Now, this is interesting. You're going to start seeing it right here. Then the unclean spirits went into and entered the swine, and were about 2,000. And the herd ran, ran violently down the steep place into the sea, drowned into the sea. Then those who fed the swine fled. They told it in the city and in the country, and they had come out to see what happened. Notice this. Then they came to Jesus, saw the one who had been demon-possessed, had the legion sitting clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they who saw it told how it happened to, those who had, to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Now, notice this next phrase. Then they began to plead. By the way, another word for plead is begged. Not strange. Let's continue. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Notice this next phrase. However, Jesus did not permit it. Let's put this all together now. I want you to notice something. The man, the demon-possessed man, he begs Jesus. Don't send us out into the country. Does Jesus actually oblige by that? Jesus actually answers that prayer request. Then the demon said, hey, send us into the swine. And does Jesus actually answer their prayer? Does he let them go into the swine? It even says he permitted them. And then what's so interesting, it says this, that when all the people were so upset by what had happened, they came and they said, please leave this place. They begged Jesus to leave the place. And does Jesus get into the boat and leave? Yes. yes. And then you have the one man who actually says, Lord, I am begging you, let me stay with you. And at that prayer request, Jesus actually says, no. Now that's strange because here Jesus is answering the prayers of enemies. He's answering the prayers of demons. But then you have the one guy who's doing his best to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, no. You can't come with me. Now when you look at the direction of this story, I really believe the Holy Spirit was intentional about this. Well, you see this buildup. Hey, if God answers the prayers... If God is willing to even listen to the requests of these demoniacs, surely he's going to keep listening to request, other people's requests. And even the people who want Jesus to leave the area, Jesus obliges. 
But then the one guy who's struggling to follow God, he says, let me be with you. And Jesus says, no. Friends, I want you to understand something here. And this is something that, as you grow in your Christianity, that you understand more and more of. Is that some of the greatest blessings in your life will be when God actually tells you no. Do you know Elijah prayed, God, let me die. Do you know where Elijah's at right now? Do you know he's probably coming up to God and he's like, Lord, thank you for not answering my prayers. I am so thankful for that. Right? Moses prayed, Lord, let me enter into the land. God says, no. He died. But he didn't stay dead, right? Where's Moses right now? He's like, I love this place. You know what I'm saying? When we get to heaven, we're going to realize that the greatest mercy of God was poured upon us when God didn't do what we wanted Him to do. There's times in our lives where we're just pleading, God, please do this for me. Please change the circumstance. Please do something else right here. And you will find the silence of God. You will find over and over, God will say, no. No. And it's because of this reason that when God says no, it's not a rejection, it's a redirection. Amen. Amen. It's not a rejection, it's a redirection. We will find God's greatest blessings came when God said no to us. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to be like, Lord, thank you for not answering my prayers always. I mean, think about it. When's the last time you've been to a prayer meeting? People say, oh yeah, what are you thankful to God for? And someone says, I'm so thankful for God, He doesn't answer my prayers. (laughs) Right? I want to show you something. I'm going to push pause here. I want you to race to Acts chapter 16. I want you to see something. Acts chapter 16 here. This is really interesting. But stay in Mark chapter 5 also. Acts chapter 16. The book of Acts, by the way, is written in just a, a, a wonderful narrative. It's written by the writer. His name is Luke. And Acts is divided into shifts. Great changes. Acts chapter 2, there's a shift, right? You have the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 9, Saul is converted, becomes Paul. The gospel begins to go to the world. Then Acts chapter 16 is considered the next great shift in the Bible. Go to Acts chapter 16. I want you to see something. Go all the way to verse 6. Now when they had gone through, and this is Paul with his band, his traveling group of friends. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden. Well, that's interesting. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, let me ask you a question. What was the commission of Jesus? Go into what? All the world and what? Now, what is the Holy Spirit actually preventing them from doing here? Preaching the gospel. Now, it wasn't preaching the gospel generally. It was preaching the gospel in that area. By the way, this was Asia Minor. This was like the Roman Roman province of where Turkey is at. This would have been the second or third missionary journey to that exact same place. So Paul was just doing what he had always done in years past. 
which was to go back to the area after he preached there. And so he was making his second or third round there, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, you cannot come into this area. And so Paul thinks, okay, let's continue reading. After they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not what? Wait a minute. They tried taking a, a route to a different place. And what did the Spirit do here? You can't come in here either. And watch what Paul does next. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And Troas, by the way, was a seaport. It was where sea ships took off. So Paul and his brethren said, you know, we're just going to stay by the seashore. When God tells us what to do, there are many ships for us to take us. Paul reached the point where he was now still, but he was ready to go where God had called him. And there he waited at Troas, and notice what the Bible says right here. Now a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with them, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now I want you to see a switch right here. This is quite amazing right here. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately, what? We. The pronoun changes. You're thinking, what's the big deal? Prior to this time in the book of Acts, Luke, when he's writing the book of Acts, said, They, or the disciples. And at this point, because of this great vision, he actually joins the missionary team here, and he starts wording out the rest of the book of Acts as, We. This was when Paul joined the team. Or excuse me, when Luke joined the team. Luke, the medical professional at this moment, became Luke, the medical missionary. Now let's keep going right here. I want you to see something interesting. Now after he had seen the vision, and notice this, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding the Lord had called us to preach the gospel there. By the way, when they get to Macedonia, do you know what they find? A group of women. They never find this man. At least it's not recorded in scripture. You're thinking, okay. They go to Macedonia and all they find is a group of women. By the way, Bible commentators point this out and they said that in order for a Jewish synagogue to actually be or to, to actually be present, you needed at least 10 Jewish men. And so here Paul and Luke and now this, this group and they said, all right, let's go to Macedonia. There's someone there who needs help. And they get there and they're quite surprised because it was not what they had expected. It was essentially an area that did not have a church set up. This is where the gospel actually goes outside Asia Minor and now goes into Europe. It was at this point when God told them no, it's because he had a greater purpose for them. It was not a rejection, but it was a re-what? Direction to something greater and bigger than they have imagined before. But it took place when Paul and his band of brethren said, all right, let's go to Troas. We are ready to go where God calls us to go. And we will stay at this place until God makes it clear that it's time for us to go to this other area. Now let's go back to this gospel of Mark now. Mark chapter 5. We're going to conclude on our final and last point here. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Starting with verse 18. 
Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 18. And when he, Jesus, got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not what? Permit it. But said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things God has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Now as he departed, began to proclaim the Decapolis to ten cities, all that Jesus had done for him, all what? Marveled or amazed. In fact, when Jesus goes back to this area, do you know when he goes back to this area months later, all the people accept him? Because of this preaching of this man who spent, what, an hour with Jesus? This man became a missionary. He was converted. He took the gospel with all that he knew. He shared it. And he didn't understand why. But God's purposes were greater than he even understood. And so this man went out to go preach the gospel exactly like Jesus told him to. And then when Jesus showed up again in that same area, he didn't find a group of people that rejected him. Rather, he found a group of people who were excited about him friends when god says no it's because he has a greater purpose in mind for you you know oftentimes in our lives we can look back and we can wonder man why didn't he listen to me why didn't jesus just say yes you may have even some bitterness towards god But friends, I want you to understand something. God's purposes for you are greater than you even realize. Than you even know. And you may not understand what God is up to in this time in your life. Perhaps you've been finding God keep closing. He keeps saying no here. He keeps saying no here. And those moments, you're you're confused. But friends, I want you to do something. Something that Paul did. Something this demoniac had done before he took off. It was just to spend time waiting and saying, Lord, what is your will? I'm at ground zero with you right now. Whatever you want. Whatever you want to do, Lord. I'm right here. I'm not going till you say go. I'm not moving till you say move. Share with me what you want me to do. And God may not tell you an extensive plan. He may just give you one step. It may be two steps. But I believe this weekend is a special window of opportunity where God wants to pour out His Spirit and start opening up to you what He has been wanting to share for a long time. How many people want to say, Lord... This weekend, I want to sit at your feet and I want to hear what you have for me. I want to understand where I should go. I want you to raise your head if that's your desire. Ground zero. This is where God wants us to begin at this this moment. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, 
I was thinking about Moses the other night who died because of sin. His judgment was upon him. He was on that mountain. And as he closed his eyes, one chapter of his life seemed to come to an end. But Lord, thank you. The next chapter had just begun. Lord, for whatever the reason, we are here this weekend. We want to start by just coming to you, Lord, as we are, just as we are. And we want to pray and ask that you would recalibrate our heart to where it needs to be. Lord, that you would just draw us close to you. And may, by the time we leave from this place, God, we will be revived and strengthened knowing the direction you'd have us to go. Thank you for hearing us tonight, for being with us. And Lord, if it's your will that we just linger a little bit longer in this place, so be it. In Jesus' name, amen. I bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.